0: you've all been waiting for. It's time for a new episode of Kings of the Podcast.
1: the podcast episode 26 of season number two db we're back at it
0: we're back at it jay let's do it man let's do it right this time
1: no just kidding well (laughs) how about this dennis the kings have been up to a lot over the last couple days so i think we're gonna have some good meat on the bone here to uh to get into over at least over the first and third period and we'll be joined in the second period today by uh he of a new contract matt roy king's defenseman will join us in the second period dennis yes well-deserved contract by the way john well, let him know that when he uh, when he comes on in the second period. And we will uh, we we'll probably have some questions lined up for him as well. We'll see if we can have a good a good chat with Matt Roy. Uh, but Dennis, we are coming to you and it is absolutely beautiful in Southern California. You're look, looking at like an 85 degree uh, day here in SoCal. I know you love the traffic and weather updates. We're coming to you from the Phil Crow studio, Dennis.
0: No, don't have that one, Jay. Sorry. Fill me in.
1: No, no on Phil Crow. No, okay. All right. Well. Shortly after the L.A. Kings went to the uh, Stanley Cup final against Montreal in 1993, and everybody knows what happened there. We won't have to discuss it on this episode. But uh, in the 93-94 season the following year, although the Kings did not make the playoffs that following year, talk about going from the highest of high or near the highest of highs, at least to uh, the lowest of lows. There was a gentleman on that team named Phil Crow, who our good buddy uh, Earl Skakel probably can appreciate. He played 31 games that year. He went on to play for the Flyers, who we learned a couple episodes ago. You were a fan of back in your East Coast days, which is still direction. my head still spinning on that. <laughs> But uh, he played for a number of teams, including the Flyers and the Senators. And and uh, I think he played a couple games in Nashville as well. Uh, he played less than 100 NHL games. But Phil Crow, the connection here, Dennis, is that uh, the Kings made a couple of trades recently. We'll get into that. And Christian Wollenin, who they picked up from uh, the Ottawa Senators in exchange for Michael Amadio, he uh, has those bloodlines that Todd McClellan likes to talk about. And many NHL coaches do. Mm-hmm. His dad played in over 700 NHL games. But in addition to those 700 NHL games uh, with a number of different teams, he also had a short stint with the Detroit Vipers. And uh, that's where the connection to Phil Crow comes in. They would have been on that same team that same year. Not sure if their paths crossed, but when I was looking over the Vipers uh, roster for that year, I said, oh, look, there's Phil Crow. I remember that name. So so there you go. Uh, What do you make? Let's start with that trade. We'll work backwards. What do you make of the trade uh, sending Michael Amadio to the Ottawa Senators?
0: I can't wait for Ottawa to pair Amadio with Stutzla and they blow up.
1: <laughs> so you want, you're going for both of them to have a hat trick in the same game.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're going to finish the season with 20 goals. No, uh, uh, John, what did you say for what, four or five weeks The 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 writing was on the wall and they made a move and I don't know what they get in Atlanta, but, uh, it was a move that had to come and you certainly foresaw the writing on the wall.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, it was, uh, it was inevitable just because you look at, uh, the, the rankings, not from a prospect rankings perspective, but just sort of from a depth chart rankings perspective. And Michael Amadio had, uh, had his opportunities here. Look, he was a very productive player in the American league. And I know Dennis that some players are just American league players and, right. you know, it doesn't translate to the NHL, but, the fans in Los Angeles really did uh, crap on him a lot over the last year. And uh, you know, it just, it happens every season. There's always a player or two players. And it's funny. I remember when Jake Muzzin was the target of Kings fans. And then, you know, now he's looked upon uh, (laughs) with a completely different lens, you know, people love and miss him, but, uh, I, I don't think we'll get to that point with Michael Amadio. I'm not expecting any, you know, man, I wish the Kings still had Amadio tweets in 18 to 24 months from now, Dennis, but okay. all the best to Michael Amadio. I mean, he was a good soldier. He did what was asked of him. And yeah. uh, like I said, he was very good in the American League. Maybe it'll maybe he can restart his career.
0: So, Jay, with Lannan, that's it, an unusual circumstance where if he doesn't play 13 games, he becomes unrestricted, correct?
1: Yeah. It's kind of like the Johnny Brzezinski deal from a couple years ago, where if they, if, uh, the player gets into enough NHL games, then he becomes an RFA, which helps, you know, obviously the club more than it helps the player. But if he doesn't get into those 13 games and I mean, you just look at the math DB, he's going to run out of, uh, he's going to run out of runway here pretty yeah, quickly, sure. uh, in, in Los Angeles, especially because they are at least initially, um, sending Christian to the Ontario rain. He's going to help out there, but if he can, uh, I mean, it's not to say that they wouldn't sign him. I mean, if he if he plays well and there's, you know, the two sides like each other and maybe he likes playing in Los Angeles or Southern California, I should say there's an opportunity there. But those 13 games are going to be critical, DB, because that's going to determine RFA or UFA status. Right. They made, uh, I guess, before we move on, any any other thoughts on the on the move?
0: No, no.
1: Let's move on to the other (laughs) trade. It was just it was just there. It was what it was. Uh, The other trade was was rather shocking, uh, at least. First, uh, first glance, from my perspective, uh, Brendan Lemieux, son of Claude Lemieux, who many people remember from his days uh, in the NHL and his dad is now the his agent. uh, They send a fourth round pick to the New York Rangers. So once again, they hook up with the Rangers for what? I guess that would be the second trade in like a six month window, Dennis. And uh, as you pointed out on Twitter, I believe uh, you saw this as a move to add some toughness to the team.
0: Yeah, especially if you're going to play Austin Strand in favor of Curtis McDermott. You want one, quote-unquote, tough guy. So, yeah. And he played, I think, 89 games in the last two seasons. So some of the Ranger fans, of course, they you know crapped over him. But the guy gets into games, and he's a fourth-line guy with some toughness and a little bit of a touch around the net. So, yeah, for a fourth-round pick that you're you know, the what's the odds on a fourth-round pick, John? So I understand. And there was a little inkling, right, when, when Rob talked about Um, at the virtual uh, uh, State of the Union, State of the Franchise, he talked about size on defense. I think just overall, he's looking for size. And this guy brings a little bit of size, a little bit of grit around the net. So for a fourth round pick, how can you go wrong?
1: Well, the size on defense, that's one of the key reasons why I like getting Austin Strand back in there is that so many of the defensive prospects are around the same size. I know they're not all interchangeable because they bring different skill sets to the table, but – uh, size is definitely there from Austin strand. And, uh, when he was in there small sample size, but when he was in there earlier in the season, he certainly wasn't hurting them on defense. And if he can start to get confidence and be more comfortable in that role and chip in offensively, because we know he's a puck moving defenseman throughout his career in, in the uh, WHL, as well as in the American league, that could be a real plus. The, the downside of that is that you have to move Walker over to the left side in order to make that happen. But, uh, yeah, adding, adding some physical toughness sort of to the lineup as a way to get Curtis McDermott out of the lineup, to me, that would be a plus, DB.
0: Yeah, I think that last game that Curtis played in, that was that earned him probably a multi-game absence at this point in time. And Strand quits himself well, and he did in the Vegas game. He didn't look out of sorts again. Um, I think there's a future form with respect to at least this season. And yeah, I think it's... It's going to be, it might be a while before Curtis McDermott plays again, but, you know, we've made predictions before, John, and, you know, Todd said, okay, I got a different
1: answer. For you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. I, I do want to bring up two points related to this, uh, uh, these trades, because the timing of it is certainly interesting. Yes. Uh, Curtis McDermott was getting in what looked like from the outside, Dennis, an excessive amount of playing time here over the last couple of weeks. And at the same time, McClellan was talking him up and saying some things, and I think we joked about it on the show uh, last time, maybe two Mm -hmm. episodes ago, that kind of made you scratch your head and say, really, Todd, like, is that, are you sure about that? I mean, we all love Dermy off the ice, but that might not be, uh, that might not be the right description that he was using of his play on the ice. And here's some interesting things about that. I wonder if the Rangers were perhaps taking a look at him because if memory serves me correctly, a year or two ago, there were some Ranger scouts that were consistently in Ontario and uh, LA and they were uh, looking at Curtis McDermott or so the rumors were. So I wonder if it was an opportunity for them to maybe say, you know, hey, let's let's take a longer look at him. I've never fully understood that, though, Dennis, because in in many ways, your scouts have a book on players like when you hear oh they're showcasing that guy for a trade do you really need to take a longer look i mean don't you have a book on a guy when he's been in the league for a couple years and you're not looking at like him three years ago like there's tape that's available of the games that mcdermott played this year
0: video can only tell you so much i think just i've learned that lesson this season by going to games is that i'm watching away from the puck um you're, you're looking for a couple different things so i just think if if you have the ability to go out and see the player one more time to confirm anything or or maybe change your mind about things. I think that that's why they do it. I, I agree with you, I think there's certainly enough video on Curtis McDermott at every at any point in time to make a decision on if you want to acquire him or not.
1: Well, if if they were, if the Rangers were interested in McDermott, um, at the end of the day, it was a fourth-round pick that they wanted in exchange for Lemieux or that they were willing to take, so that deal was able to be consummated. And then uh, about 48 hours later, I believe, the Kings did make that other trade with Ottawa, sending Michael Amadio there. A couple of points on that one. Many people have asked, this trade doesn't make sense. Both players were available on waivers. If Ottawa wanted Amadio, why didn't they just claim him on waivers? And if LA wanted their defenseman, why didn't they just claim him on waivers? And as we pointed out in an article there on mayorsmanner.com, it really has to do with contracts. The Kings are up against it. I think yep. they're at 49 of the max 50 NHL contracts. Uh, teams right now aren't wanting to take on more contracts. So it's the old hockey trade, right? A contract for a contract. Sure. And um, that would be the reason why. So it's not as easy as always just picking players up on waivers. Although it's nice because you don't have to give up an asset. It's bad because you, you have to take on a contract. And there's another 49, uh, asp- 49, 49 to 50, um, 49 program. to 50. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, so that's, that's, I mean, that's basically what, uh, what they're dealing with there, but there's another aspect to this trade DB and, and the timing of it is certainly curious because uh, we had put out an article uh, on mayor's Manor, And I think we t- discussed it a few times here on the program. There were three names that the Kings were interested in on the college UFA front. Yes. They were never really considered to be leading contenders as we discussed on the show, Dennis, because the prospect pool is so deep, it wasn't the same. The optics weren't the same as a couple of years ago when a guy like aya fallo could come in and jump the line, or Blake Lazat could come in and jump the line. Um, but they were certainly interested in, in a couple of players, and they found out here over the last uh, 72 hours, from what I understand, that they were out. Uh, on several of those players. You saw the Blackhawks uh, sign the forward today, and then Matt Kirsted, the big defenseman out of uh, North Dakota, that a lot of teams are chasing. The Kings found out they were out when he cut his list back. It is curious, at least on the surface, that within 24 hours of them finding that information out, the deal for for Amadio happens. So either sort of a happy coincidence or like, hey, we're not going to be able to get this defenseman, so let's go out and get this defenseman and it'll work. So um, that is interesting. Uh, Dennis, let's wrap up the first period here today before we bring in Matt Roy with a little bit more uh, of trade talk and waiver talk because prior to us recording the episode here today on Wednesday, uh, there was a player from the Philadelphia Flyers that was put on waivers and uh, we had a a little group text chat going about it, DB, Mm -hmm. and I'll I'll let you start it off by uh, giving some thoughts on why that player is probably not going to be picked up or claimed on waivers.
0: Yeah, uh, look, he's... They're the second, and that's Shane Gostisberg we're talking about. He's the second, uh, like, they're the second worst defensive team in the league. Are you really going to claim a defenseman (laughs) that they don't want uh, with respect to uh, uh, putting on a lot? Plus, I just think there's too much. I I think he's a fit for Seattle. I think that's where he winds up. But, um, Jay, um, you rolled a little grenade out there with respect to your article. So why don't you, uh, for fans that haven't read it so far, uh, why don't you uh, give some intel on uh, what you think might happen?
1: sure absolutely uh and thank you for that dennis there was uh believe it or not fans we don't plan this out so <laughs> it's uh it's a very organic conversation whether it whether it comes across that way or not uh yeah dennis over the last uh you know week or so here as the trade stuff has been heating up uh, i've been gathering some intel that the kings have a couple deals that they're looking at there's nothing eminent so it's not like i'm sitting on something dennis there they're, but they are and at least we're going to call them heavy negotiations with some teams, meaning that it's gone beyond the, hey, what do you think of this? And then the other team says no. And there were a couple of them that they uh, appear to be getting close on. And I, I kind of hinted at that in a tweet uh, when they made the deal for Lemieux and saying that the deal for Lemieux was not uh, what I had been sort of hearing about. Uh, they are looking at the option right now and weighing whether they want to go ahead and pull the trigger to get something done before the trade deadline, or if it's going to have to wait until after the season. Right. Now, one of those elements to that, Dennis, is that a contending team is not likely to trade you a top four defenseman uh, at the trade deadline, regardless of what you're offering. You can put a great package together, but if they're a contending team, that's a deal that they would rather make in the summer. So the Kings, we'll call it options uh, prior to the trade deadline. Are somewhat limited uh, where they would have more options available, more players to select from to weaponize that uh, prospect pool and that cap space that we've been talking so much about. So the article that you referenced there, I think there is a Flyers player that very much could be in play for the LA Kings and it's Travis Sanheim. It's not uh, ghost. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you dig into some of the underlying things, you'll find out that this is a guy who is more balanced uh than some of the other players where you look at sergachev and you look at what he does offensively while he certainly is a driver of offense uh sandheim is better defensively and if you look at him compared to maybe like a hughes in vancouver um who picks up a lot of his points on the power play and or picked up from his teammates uh and who he's paired his line mates who he's paired with uh different type of a driver when you look at, at uh at sandheim so There's an opportunity there. This is a player who was a first-round pick for the LA LA Kings. He was a first-round pick of the Philadelphia Flyers. You don't see first-round picks moved all the time. Um, He wouldn't come cheap. Uh, If I had to guess, you're probably looking at a first-round pick from LA going the other way, as well as two additional assets, probably a a B-level prospect and maybe a conditional pick, maybe like a a third or fourth-round pick. So call it two draft picks, uh, a B-level prospect, which the Kings seem to have a glut of, there's a, there could be a good marriage here, Dennis. And uh, I bring up something, I brought up something else I should say in the article that uh, I think sort of goes unnoticed at times. And that is that this particular player was drafted by the previous regime. He was drafted when Ron Hextall was there, which I think is a plus because the Kings have a close relationship with Hextall and they probably compared notes on this player since his draft in 2014, but there's, there's a new sheriff in town there in, in Philadelphia. And so I don't think that they would be as emotionally attached to that player. And I think that that's an important aspect when you look at trade sometimes, Dennis is that if, if the GM or that management team, drafted a particular player i think that they tend to hold that player in a higher regard and or maybe overvalue or value the player differently than if it was somebody else's pick
0: yeah especially a first-round pick john so it's going to be more of an emotional attachment to that player and also you bring up in the article um with respect to size right and that's again what what blake said in the virtual state of the franchise i mean travis andheim six-three, one ninety. 190. i mean that, that that's what you need on the blue line so yeah positionally correct Size correct, uh, certainly talent. You could pair with Dowdy. Um, certainly, we go. To, I think go to the top top pairing. The, the question is, I think it's timing. I think at this point in time, Philly isn't adding. So is it a deadline deal? I, I can't see because I think they're still pushing for the postseason. And and they did beat Buffalo last night. So that's. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, uh, is that because somebody had to win the game though, Dennis? <laughs> John, you're up three nothing at home, and you still don't win the game. I really. <laughs> God bless Sabres fans. So I, I, I sign off every broadcast with that. But, yeah, I, I think that that's, this player would fit that uh, position lead. I, I just think it's more you're leaning, and you mentioned the teams, and I think Philly still thinks they're they're in it. I think they were, you know, they came into the season thinking they're in it. So I think that an offseason deal, that three for one, it, it would make sense with the spec to – the Kings and what they'd have
1: to this surrender is the last minute of yeah, and in if the you're Philadelphia and you're looking at their cap situation as well. Uh, and this is pointed out in the article for those that haven't read it yet. Uh, Sanheim signed a two-year bridge deal coming out of his or coming off of his entry level deal. He's looking to get paid this summer. And, uh, so that, that is something that Philadelphia has to be concerned with. Carolina does tend to be, or does seem to be a little bit in, um, expansion draft uh trouble and that's another aspect that that teams are going to have to deal with this summer dennis So i think you're going to see some moves that you might normally go huh why did they make that move and it's right. not only for cap reasons Correct. but also for expansion draft reasons and and how you protect players so it'll be it'll be interesting to see where the la kings go but you know dennis there is one player that signed and he's in los angeles he's already here he uh recently signed a new three-year contract we're talking about matt roy he's going to join us on the other side of the break
0: Run fast for your mother, Hey, Kings of the Podcast fans, it's DB. Have you ever said to yourself, I love the fact that I have the same few pairs of sheets since just after college, I never liked them then, and I keep washing them every week or two and putting them back on the bed like it's totally normal? Well, stop it. and can make that voice in your head and the bad sheets on your bed go away. So Lennon was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, They founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available to you without the luxury level markups. And Brooklinen is so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, and even loungewear and more. They are so confident you will love their products, they even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. That's dot com, and enter the promo code KINGS to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more and get free shipping.
1: Second period, Kings of the podcast. We are happy to be joined right now, and I'm sure he's happy uh, given that he owns a new three-year contract. Kings defenseman Matt Roy joining the program. Matt, how are you? Yeah,
2: hey, I'm good. How are you?
1: Well, you should be doing great with a new contract in hand. Yeah, it's,
2: uh, it's a load off the shoulders, that's for sure.
1: Now, look, we have a lot to get to today. Uh, we're going to go deep into your into your career here. Uh, I want to just start, though, with something sort of fun. Now, I was digging into you playing at Michigan Tech and being a youper and was told uh, that you you were a troll once upon a time. I guess this is lingo that I'm supposed to know, but I'm not from Michigan, so I don't know this. You 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 grew up on the wrong side or the other side of the bridge, and then you went north of the bridge. So can you explain this to, you know— I'm from California. DB's from New York. Can you explain this to us—the whole troll versus uper thing?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty simple. The the trolls are are people that live in the lower peninsula. So I grew up uh, near Detroit. So uh, I was pretty south in Michigan, and and the upers are up in the upper pen- peninsula, uh, above the Mackinac Bridge. So there's there's a pretty good divide there in the state.
1: So I guess, uh, is that allowed? Are you, are you allowed to do that then if you, if you grow up as a troll? Are you allowed to, uh, or is it frowned upon that then you cross the bridge and become a Youper for your college career?
2: Uh, I think they accepted me pretty well in the Youper community. So uh, I think I'm a little bit of both, but um, I, I, love, I love the Youpers, and I, I love all the little towns up there.
1: So you're a trooper?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's one way to put it, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Hey, Matt, you, you, you talked you know, we congratulated you on your contract and you definitely, you know, earned it with your play. So like looking to the right. future, like what's the one big thing you might do or purchase or obtain um once that contract kicks in? Buy a house, buy a big car. Is it something that with respect to your future that you're looking at with respect to the money you might earn? Um, you
2: know, I haven't thought about it too much, but I think uh I think getting a house in LA would Probably be uh, my big purchase. You know, the housing market's pretty expensive out there, so sure. uh, I think that's probably where I would look to go first.
1: Let's go back to uh, to Michigan Tech now. Gary Shuchuk was the the uh, assistant coach there one of the years that you were there, and fans in Los Angeles, longtime fans in LA will know him because he scored one of the biggest goals in LA playoff history. And uh, when I saw that, it sort of made me laugh. And I was thinking like an Al Bundy type moment is, uh, was Shuchuk sitting around talking about that goal a lot? Did you ever hear, you know, the old war story about that goal? (laughs)
2: Uh, if he did, I didn't remember it, but, uh, Gary, he was, he was great to me and, uh, he was a great coach up there. So, uh, you know, we we tried getting some stories out of him uh, about the NHL and about the Kings and stuff, but uh, he he was a good guy, and I'm I'm happy to know him.
1: Now, uh, when you were in the USHL, uh, Jeff Brown, he was you guys had success there. He won the the USHL uh, championship. Brown had a 13-year NHL career as a defenseman. So I'm just curious, did you learn any sort of the intricate details, uh, you know, about how to play in a particular zone or what to do away from the puck, uh, you know? reads and pinches and all that sort of stuff. Was he the the key instrumental person at that point in your career?
2: Uh, I mean, he was, he was definitely a good coach, and I learned a lot from him. He he definitely demanded a lot out of his players, that's for sure. But um, he, I think I learned a lot about the pro game, even though I was still in juniors, and this was all before college. But uh, he kind of ran things uh, like the pros do, and... Uh, so, you know, I kind of took, I took away a lot of little things from that, um, but, you know, along with them, I've had a ton of coaches that have helped me uh, get me to where I am at this point.
0: You know, Matt, uh, the Zoom calls are challenging at times, I'm sure for both the players and for the media. So we can't get a real read on the team and it's been a tough go. You know, you've lost, what, uh, six of eight. You're still in the player front. What's the temperature of the guys in the room? Is it still optimistic? Do you still think with a good run here, you can still get to the four seed?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, we know that there's an urgency, and uh, this next segment of games is is really crucial for our season. Um, but knowing that, I think we're all excited to play the, playing these games. You know, they're they're starting to mean a lot more, and uh, I think we're all ready for the challenge.
1: So you, now, on the lighter side, some of those uh, team. Oh, I'm sorry, DB. Go uh, ahead.
0: I was going to say you, you started with uh, w- with a beard to start the season, you shaved it, so uh, wasn't working for you? Was it too itchy? What was the deal with the beard?
2: (laughs) Uh, I just figured we needed a little change-up. None of the deal were scoring at that point, uh, except for Dermy, so I figured I might try a little something out to help us (laughs)
1: <laughs> all right then. Uh, on the on the lighter side of uh, some of your teammates here, this past weekend, big deal in the college hockey world. You had uh, turn. Well, the tournaments were a couple weeks ago, but the uh, the big tournament getting started here and gearing up for the Frozen Four. Uh, I'm wondering, Mikey Anderson, I follow Brickley. Uh, w- were those guys all all geeked up and amped up and ready to go for for the games that they had to watch?
2: Uh, yeah, we've uh, we've been talking about the games a little bit. Um, you know, it's too bad Tuck didn't make the cut this year, but uh, it's good to see, you know, as much as I hate Mankato, it's it's good to see a WCHA team get into the Frozen Four, and uh, hopefully they can represent that league good moving forward. But, um, you know, it's fun to talk about the guys, and it's fun chirping the other guys about their colleges and, and all that stuff, so it's been fun. Now,
1: speaking of chirping those guys, though, I mean, let's go back to the time when you were at Michigan Tech. You played against Ayafalo, and you played against Brickley, uh, and I think you even played against Sean Walker in was the WCHA championship game, if I remember correctly. So, uh, well, mm-hmm. how, how's the chirping between between you guys? Uh, you know, who's representing and who's coming strong?
2: Uh, I mean, we're always going back. Forth, especially me and walks uh we played each other quite a bit in college so um yeah playing we played bowling green in, in the finals um for both of our our last year that we were there um, and, and we ended up beating them in double overtime so it's <laughs> it's kind of funny we just kind of go back and forth and give it to each other a little bit
0: so Matt, are you a, um, a sentimental memorabilia guy do you have like your first puck that you, uh, the first goal that you scored or any jerseys from college or the pros that you keep as uh, keepsakes?
2: Uh, yeah, I've got, uh, I think I have all my jerseys that I've ever worn uh, back at home. Um, I'm pretty sure I gave my dad uh, my first goal puck, so I think it's sitting in his office. And, uh, you know, I think, I think my family members like that stuff more than I do. But um, so it's nice to, Treat them with that stuff, and and I think they I think it's really cool. And uh, you know, I think when I get older, I'll I'll definitely appreciate appreciate having it all.
0: Okay, so it's been almost 900 days since your last fight in the AHL. Are, are we ever going to see you drop the gloves in the NHL?
2: <laughs> yeah, time will tell, I guess. Uh, you know, it's it's the opportunity presents itself. You know, I'll do what I have to do, but uh, you know, I think. My role is a little bit different, and uh, you know I'll be I'll be ready for it if it happens, and you know if not I'll just keep playing my game.
1: Earlier, you were talking about several of the coaches that have influenced your career. I will let you know, reached out to one of your former coaches to get some background. And uh, I think you know who this coach is, Mike Stuthers from Ontario. And he wanted to talk about uh, your fight. And so this is what he had to say. He said, oh, yeah, Royzy dropped the gloves with Sabrin, who was playing for San Diego at the time. Not sure if Roy had ever fought before, but clearly, one, he didn't realize how tough Sabby is. Two, didn't know that Sabby wastes no time getting the first punch in. Three, clearly he didn't know that Sabu was a lefty. And four, that's all valuable information to have before the fight, not after the fight. Uh, according to him, you got drilled right square in the nose and uh, you were leaking pretty good afterwards. So he said that uh, you just shoved some stuff up in your nose, uh, didn't really miss a shift or two. Uh, he felt horrible for you, but he said the two of you guys have laughed about it quite a bit. Uh, afterwards so I want to get your, your take on that uh, but before I do I will also share he was quick to point out he loved coaching you he's very proud of you uh, and how well you're doing and uh, he was also glad that that was your last fight
2: <laughs> yeah that's funny uh, yeah I think it was like my second or third week um, after signing my contract so I was brand new to the team and didn't know any of the guys and uh, I'm pretty sure I was having a pretty tough first period and I ended up getting hit by sabby and uh, i think i slashed them on the back of the legs and next thing i know we're we're kind of getting into it and we dropped our gloves and uh that that left fist came in pretty quick and i was leaking blood everywhere but uh you know stutz is a tough guy so uh, we were laughing about it afterwards and i think uh i think i gained a, a bit of respect from from the coaching staff and the guys just just for trying it out. So, uh, you know, as much as it hurt, um, I'm glad I did it. And it's, it's a funny memory now,
0: you know, Matt, uh, the media voted you the best defenseman last year. Like what have you learned about yourself or your game or what improvements do you think you've made in this season? Cause now you're established, you got your contract extension. Like what improvement have you seen in your game this season?
2: Um, I think this season I've, I feel like I've stepped up my game a little bit. I think I'm I'm playing more confident and uh, I'm playing a bit more consistently than I did last year. Um, you know, I've been playing with with Toby and and Klager and a couple of younger guys. So um, I feel like I feel like every night I need to bring my game and uh, help the younger guys out. So I think I've taken a little bit more of a leadership role, and uh, you know, I'm just trying to play as best I can every game.
1: Who texts the most on the team?
2: Uh, I'd probably say Kempe or Peterson. Probably one of those guys.
1: Uh, Kempe? Uh, uh, what, like selfies?
2: Like texting? Like on <laughs> yes, the phone?
1: Yes, texting.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'd probably say one of those two guys. I feel like they're always looking down on their phones.
1: What, oh, so so maybe not necessarily texting with you then. Okay, just texting like in general.
2: What's the last? Oh, you mean with me?
1: Yeah, yeah. I meant like yeah, within the team. The, the you know if there are group chats or uh or just texting of the teammates. Yeah, who who's who seems oh, to be the serial okay. texter? <laughs>
2: um, I don't know. Me and me and Cal go back and forth a lot. Uh, me and walks. Um, yeah, probably those two guys. I I text the most. What's
1: the last thing Drew Dowdy texted you?
2: Oh yeah, I don't know. He's probably chirping me about something. <laughs>
0: Fair. Hey, Matt, What's it like to play in Staples Center with no fans?
2: Uh it's it's interesting. It's um I don't know, it's kinda I guess it's like the other buildings without any fans, you know, you you're just kind of focusing in on your game and try not to think about it too much. Um but, you know, th- this past game we just played in Vegas, you know, they had fans and, you know, you could definitely tell that there was a buzz in the atmosphere. So uh, we're definitely excited to get our fans back at Staples. Yeah. But w-
0: at the beginning of the season, was there an adjustment? Because it was just totally weird to have like music pumped in, but n- but nobody cheering, you can't see anybody in the stands. Was there an adjustment period in the first couple of games?
2: Uh, maybe a little bit. I mean, I think uh, the staff at the arena did a good job of, making it as normal as possible. Um, you know, they tried doing a lot of the same stuff that we would have for normal games. Um, so that helped a bit, but it, it was a little bit weird at first when we scored and, you know, there was just silence in the building, but uh, I think we've adjusted to it and, you know, we're looking ahead to when we can offense.
1: Now, back before the season started during the, uh, what, 10 months off, I guess it was during the the. the quarantining uh period you had a pretty eventful off season from what i understand
2: yeah uh yeah i got married uh back in july and um did that back home in michigan and that was pretty hectic we had to change all of our plans quite a bit um, but it ended up being being great and then took a honeymoon to napa valley and yeah that was that was the big thing for sure
1: now the Napa Valley thing uh, was that was that because of her or was that because of you because from what I understand you are the official wine guy and I'm sure that Jim Fox is going to take exception when he hears this but from what I understand you are the official wine guy on the L.A. Kings.
2: <laughs> I don't know if I'm the official guy. I'm I'm trying to learn, but um, yeah, I think my my wife and I both like wine and we had originally planned a trip to the Caribbean, but we figured it'd be a lot safer to. Stay closer in the country. Uh, so we ended up going to Napa and um, went to some great wineries and and had a lot of great wine. And uh, we're looking forward to going back for sure. You may
1: or may not know this story because I don't believe that you were there. I could be wrong, but uh, I heard something. We talked about it on the program a couple months ago during the off season. There were some guys that were training in like uh, I think it was Calgary. It might have been FERC that told us the story and. Uh, kale Clegg, maybe Austin Strand they were drinking wine out of a uh out of a paper bag. did you hear this story?
2: No, but that doesn't surprise me
1: <laughs> <laughs> doesn't surprise you because they have cheap choices in wine or uh just because that's that's the kind of guys that they are
2: uh, that's just that's just Clegg and Strander, but you know they're young so i was I was doing that stuff when I was younger too but uh. <laughs> we're trying to step up our game a little bit as we get older that's for sure sounds good
0: so going back to the start of the uh uh pandemic um on instagram and crown there's a picture of you and a dog is that is that you and your wife's dog
2: yeah her name yeah she's a rescue from mexico uh she came with the name Kendra but we call her Kenny and she's uh she's a little dog with a big personality do you know the uh, breed? Yeah, she's a Pointer Terrier mixed with uh, a couple other things. She's got a little whippet in her and, and some other stuff.
0: Well, it says a lot about a person that that, that does a rescue, Matt. So uh, good
1: on you and your wife.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, she's she's fun to have around the house, that's for sure.
1: You uh, you said something interesting the other day on one of the Zooms, uh, which is actually hard to do because, as DB pointed out, these Zooms are, are really killing all of us. Um, you mentioned the fact that when you were drafted, uh, you told the funny story about how it was left wing Matt Roy. And I went out and looked it up. And sure enough, that is it's even on NHL.com right now as the Kings drafted left wing Matt Roy, which is, is actually very comical. Um, but what an interesting time, though, right? Because you were an overager at that point. You had been passed over a couple of times. I mean, was your NHL dream? Did you feel that it was perhaps slipping through your fingers at that point? Or did you still hold out hope? And, and you know, had people been telling you, the age-old stories of, look, the draft really doesn't matter, you know, uh, just keep playing, keep improving, keep being passionate, and, you know, your opportunity will come.
2: Yeah, I mean, at that point in my career, um, I had just finished my freshman year at school, um, and I was just told, you know, if if I do get drafted, great, but if not, there's plenty of of undrafted guys that have gone on and made it, had great careers, so um, at that point, you know, I was just kind of rolling with whatever came my way and I was ready for, uh, you know, any challenge that came my way. So I I wasn't really too stressed out about it, but I'm glad that it happened.
0: So Matt, you just finished playing Vegas. Are those gold domes they wear, are they a distraction on the ice?
2: Uh, I kind of like, I kind of like them a little bit. Um, I don't know how others feel about it, but, uh, it's I feel like it brings a a bit of excitement to the uniforms and, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of the fans like it. So uh, (laughs) I think Cal had one of those at Notre Dame when he played too. Sure.
1: Matt, tell us uh, as you look ahead to the rest of the season here, uh, it, it's it's been such an interesting year because you guys have played the same teams over and over and over again. Yet at the same time, one team that you haven't seen much of would be the Anaheim Ducks. And you guys have a stretch coming up here with, I think, four or five in a row or or four out of the five games against Anaheim. And uh, that's a team that, you know obviously a big rival. Uh, What do you think it's going to be like to have to play them so many times over such a small time period? Have you given any thought to that? Or right now is it just really all about uh, San Jose and and all about Vegas?
2: Uh, Yeah, I don't think we've thought about that too much right now. We're just focused on uh, the games we have right now coming up. But, uh, you know, I think when it do comes, I mean, it's only natural for things to be physical and shifty if you play any team uh, that many times in a row. So, uh, you know, we're going to deal with that when it comes, but, you know, I'm sure they're going to be big games for us and we're going to have to be ready for
1: them. Last question then. And of course, thank you for your time today. Off day there in in Vegas, but uh, we appreciate you spending some, some time here with us on Kings of the podcast. Uh, Jersey question. You guys are going to wear five different jerseys when all is said and done this season. Uh, Obviously the three main ones, and then you have the, uh, the retros, of the 90s heritage era, I think is what they're calling them. You guys will be wearing against uh, those Duck games, uh, against the Ducks. I was talking about those games a minute ago, but you've already had a chance to wear the reverse retros, the Forum Blue and Gold. What do you think about those beauties?
2: I like those. They're um, It's fun to wear something different and different colors and it kind of brings a little excitement to the game. So I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of those.
1: Well, I think that the timing of this is all sort of perhaps maybe fingers crossed coming to a perfect head because there is one more game left, I believe at home. At Staples Center that the Kings will be wearing the reverse retros and news just coming out today that California is moving or Southern California LA specifically moving into the orange tier so fans maybe maybe will be allowed back into Staples Center uh, before the end of April and it would be great if they could get into that building and even though it wouldn't be a full house to see some fans. uh, be in the building to let you you know when you guys uh wear those jerseys one more time so matt thanks for joining us today enjoy your weird week uh in vegas there it's not normally uh like this in vegas but uh it is what we're all dealing with during this pandemic we appreciate you coming on kings the podcast and spending some time with us today
2: yeah anytime thanks guys appreciate it
1: there you go matt roy we'll be back after the break and talk some more la kings hockey
0: I need to change of scene Till the seasons change Maybe longer nights Maybe shorter days Will get me over what I can't get past If you're gone and you won't come back Maybe a little space Or a little time Somewhere far from here Will get you off my mind I can't stay watching you Move on all February long I'm going to Michigan for the winter between the dark and the light of the sky and the snow. Most people go south for the weather instead of out in the... Cold. Hey, it's DB again. This time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program... You'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for just $15 a month, the same rate any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listen to me and the mayor talk about your favorite hockey team, that make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. Go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join.
1: Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with D.B. And the mayor coming out of the interview there with Matt Roy from Las Vegas. Any, uh, any thoughts there?
0: Yeah. We got the life and times of Matt Roy. It's good. He's a wine lover, adopted a dog, rescued a dog. Yeah, good, Recently good, good married. For, yeah. Got married. Good for hey, Look, the guy deserves the money. Like, you know, I was, when I, when Copa signed the extension, I kept tweeting, pay the guy the money, but he deserves it. Good price, fair. And he continues to be the stabilizing force in the blue line. So good for Matt.
1: Yeah, steady Eddie, as uh, as yes. Todd McClellan often refers to him as. Uh, one thing we did make mention of that there uh, during that conversation, Dennis, was the orange tier. Now, we talked yeah. about this a couple episodes ago, and the data we were looking at said that the uh, L.A. County was looking to move to the orange tier around 4-9, April 9th. But then word came out today that it's happening much, much sooner, like in the next couple of days here. So you have to wonder if the Kings and Staples Center um, can can get the proper guidance and be able to open here. It's, it just sounds crazy to me, but in a couple of weeks, possibly have some fans back inside Staples Center.
0: Yeah, I got to think those grouping of games there in after the twentieth from the twentieth mm-hmm. to the twenty eighth. I think there's opportunity to get. Now I think you have to be in. You have to be in the tier for a couple of weeks. We still need guidance from the state on indoor um, sports, which we haven't gotten yet. But yeah, I mean that's still three weeks away, John. So I got to think that at that home stand, that thankfully. I believe we'll have fans in the stands, which would be just amazing.
1: Yeah. Now, I made reference to the uh, to the reverse retro jersey. And the last time the Kings are scheduled to wear that is April 14th. So that's going to be a little bit tight because I think you're right. Yeah. Candace, it probably would be a week after, but Hey, why not? Stranger things have happened. You Everything know. is upside down. The world is upside down. So let's target April 14th and hope that, uh, what, what a grand, you know, entrance it would be right with all the hype around yeah. reverse retro. Agreed. What a way for the first game to welcome fans back into Staples center. How crazy would that be if it was the final reverse retro night?
0: You know what? It's funny, John, because, I think it was uh, Kelly Cheeseman that said those jerseys are not going to be available ever again. It's just, to me, it's just, there's so much hype around them, so much popularity and people love them so much that they they'll never be available again. To me is uh, John, you're a marketing guy. What do you think about that?
1: it's just crazy. And it's, it has to do with production. It has to do with Adidas uh, and the way that they did a limited run. I will say this. uh, We talked a couple months ago that we believed that there was going to be a second round of reverse retro. That's what we had been hearing probably in two to three years. It wouldn't surprise me if it happens much, much sooner than that, given the popularity league wide. But you know what Cheeseman also said during that state of the franchise, it's not just the jerseys that have sold well, Dennis, they basically have sold out of all the reverse retro merchandise. They have had, they have sweatshirts yep. t-shirts a whole bunch of forum blue and gold stuff and he he was very uh he was very specific in what he said he's like hey the fans voted with their wallets on purple yep. this time and that's a reference to the fact that they have in the past produced merchandise with purple and fans have have not really bought it in the same numbers like for example the silver jerseys that you hear mm-hmm. some fans complain about, oh, the silver jerseys have been wildly successful. Right. A- again, if you vote with your wallet. So right. who cares who's commenting on Twitter? They look at the sales. And the right. sales of the silver jerseys have been phenomenal. And while the sales of you know, maybe some of the past purple jerseys haven't uh, resonated, well, this time around, they absolutely did. And I don't know if that's just pent-up demand because that's of COVID right. sure. or if it's because it's a, a purple version Of what many fans will tell you Is the most popular Kings jersey of all time Which is the Gretzky era jersey I wonder if that's it
0: Yeah, I think it's a combination of both, John You're right
1: Okay uh, DB, earlier today, we did put out, you know, we like to n- engage with the fans and get them going on Twitter and, and sort of hear their opinions. So we put something out on Twitter earlier today. Uh, we asked two questions. Number one, what what's your high point or favorite moment of the season thus far? And number two, what was your low point or more, most uh, frustrating moment of the season? Uh, Dennis, I wanted to just throw a couple at you. I'm just scrolling here through Twitter. So I'm, I'm grabbing them, you know, somewhat randomly, sure. uh, giving you an opportunity to react to some of them. Uh, one uh this one made me laugh though it it said high point played the kids low point haven't played enough kids so i thought (laughs) i was like oh wait a minute is that dennis's burner account who is that it is you found (laughs) it. so mike 270 is you at twitter uh here's another one uh the good was quickie having two shutouts and winning in st louis he struggled there before okay uh cal took a major leap in his progression Oh, okay. So Diane gave us two two goods. Uh, She doubled down here. And on the bad front, she said JQ's injuries uh, seems changed him right now. Not the same as before. And Cal faces way too many shots some nights. So uh, basically a good recap of the goaltending situation there. Anything to add?
0: No, no. I think it's a real good assessment for one of our fans about uh, what's going on with the uh, net.
1: All right. So here's uh, some more here. Um, I, number one, I like seeing the development of the decor too. the continued. Uh, this is the negative would be number two. The continued use of players like and there's the names of some players, Amadio Wagner, McDermott over other players like Luff, Strand and the top AHL kids who should be playing. So, yes, we've debated the AHL kids quite quite a bit here, mm-hmm. Dennis. Uh, and as we said all along, though, the idea was to get some of those kids 20 to 25 games in the American League. Highfield, Kaliev, Calia Turcotte, Kapari, et cetera. And then, uh, especially as rosters expand here in a couple of weeks, to see some of those guys up in L.A. So I think that's maybe simmering below the surface, D.B. Right now, the Kings still think they're mathematically in the playoff hunt. You know, and I did the math last time, but the next two weeks are going to kind of be telling, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's,
0: it's tough. And I mentioned it with Matt Roy. I mean, the team's lost, what, uh, six, uh, six of eight now. Um, it, it's going to be tough. Uh, but if they are in it, John, and the rosters do expand, Right or when they do expand, like if those are still games of consequence, especially I mean because you've got four against Anaheim and every fan tells me that was a winnable game. So if they're still in the mix, like how do you lo- utilize these players? So
1: I think it's be- one, <laughs> one at a time. No, I mean, seriously, I mean one at a time. Like you can you can squeeze one of them in, but you yeah. you can't you can't just import. Kaliev, Byfield, and Turcotte all as a line, all into the same game. I don't, you don't think you can black do. You
0: want the black aces playing the fourth line one game? <laughs> well, I mean it's a
1: it's a great story, but I just don't think that it's uh, it's very viable. Let's let's hear from some more of the fans here. Uh, on the high point, the six game winning streak in mid February. Yes, fans love it when when teams win. Uh, and the low point would be the two games against San Jose when they were swept. So, oh yeah, a little bit of recency bias there. But uh, okay, um, another one here. Positivity, seeing what the future of LA could look like. Everything from the. Six game winning streak kaliev jad etc okay good uh and the low point was getting consistently ba- uh, consistently badly outplayed by vegas and colorado as a stark reminder of how far away this team is from the top of the league dennis i think that was your point from the last podcast that there is a quite a bit of a gap between the kings and the top two teams
0: yeah there's a gap and that's okay and it's still a developing team like last night it's a contending team against a developing team and that's what you're going to get and with some bounces they could have won one game and they did play better this game but but it's it just you know when you talk about the 2C or the 1C you know their top line they line up Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone on the wings i mean that that's there's gap it's okay it's it, it, this is not a complete this is not a finished product this is a a product that percentage wise 50 40 60 how complete is this team the mm, back, back
1: to 40 40 okay that's what i was going to say so oh, really? Yeah. You yeah. and I, you and I don't always agree. I'm surprised 40%. No, I, I yeah. I would, I would say 40, they are, right. But you want, I, more I think, yeah, go ahead, John. I think that the number of 40, I mean, we could really do a whole show about how it applies to different uh, positions and even right. sure. areas within the position, like at forward, I think it's maybe even lower. Right. But on defense, I think it might even be higher. You know, so I'm going, agreed. I'm going 40 overall, but if you want to talk just about the forwards, man, it is Probably sub 40. Yeah, well, It is a work in progress. Well, John,
0: you need, I think you and I agree, you need one more legit defenseman, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that would be what, five of six? That's 80%. And you need a couple spots, a couple more spots on the forward. But yeah, I, I think 40 is fair to say. And it was what last year, 25, 20. So there's progression here.
1: OK, uh, another low point from a fan would have been um, the, th- the two three one leads that were given up to Minnesota in the first two games. And you know what, Dennis, I actually have to almost agree with that, because I think that that set the tone for the season. Um, it just it it set the tone for the fact that they didn't have they don't have the roster necessary or the or the mental makeup, whatever you want to call it, a combination of all of that to be able to close out those important games when they do have a lead I, I've loved the resiliency at different times, right. but those two games really, I think have had a negative impact on the season. And I know there were some injuries that, that you know, sort of kicked in around that time too, but sure. man, those two games, they, they still, they still sort of sit there and irritate you. Don't they?
0: They do. But it's also shows you when they add a team that's supposed to be average and boring that Minnesota was when they add a dynamic play by Kaprizov, how that mm-hmm. changes the dynamic. But for me, i don't think it's any question john like i know what the low point in the season is that home game against anaheim was without question to me yes like the low point like they, you couldn't you you couldn't play a worse game if you tried to play a worse game to me that to me was the bottom
1: all right let's see if any of the fans have that in here uh high point kopitar and dowdy playing up to standards 11 more so than eight uh, you could probably argue that but okay Um I mean, uh, that's, it's true. They're playing up. I just didn't like the wording of up to standards, but yes, they are. They are certainly playing much better and they could be uh, in the conversation for some hardware later this season. The low is the consistently uh, consistency or lack thereof. He said uh, it's normal with young group, but still it's frustrating. So I would agree, Dennis. It's, it's like you, you expect it, you know that they're going to be inconsistent, but it is maddening at at sometimes. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it is, but it's, that's normal growing pains, John. To me, that
0: that's not a problem. I don't expect it. I don't expect them to get production and rolling all four lines. This is in Vegas. <laughs> These are the teams <laughs> who are still developing. It's it's okay, and you could see the frustration with Todd because he's tried literally every combination on that bottom nine, and it's still not it's still not It's not, it's not still not being productive. So yeah, I get mm-hmm. it. I understand it. But that's again why this team is probably forty percent of where they
1: need to be. Along those lines, TB, uh, I tweeted out earlier today, heading into today's practice, because didn't necessarily like some of the line combinations uh, of the last couple days of practice or, or at the game, you saw Trevor Moore up there on the second line kind of makes you scratch your head. Uh, Todd's made mention of the fact that Kempe is kind of a man without a home. He's tried him on different lines. Um, Jeff Carter, Gabe Velarde. They've largely been, you know, non factors here over the last two weeks. Uh, Both of them have been, Demoted at different times. uh Any any thoughts about sort of how to piece that together? I, I gave my thoughts, which was I, I liked the Let's idea of perhaps putting Dustin Brown with Gabe Velarde again.
0: uh It's not about the wingers; it's about the center. And and mm-hmm. and I got concerns. I, I just again, and this was a situation. Go back to last night, John, against Vegas in Game Two, right? He he promoted Gabe to two C. Gabe won a faceoff in the first minute of the game, made a nice pass, goal, and That was it. Like he played 13 minutes, no, no shot attempts. He needs to be a factor. And that's, and you bring up Kempe, it's affecting Kempe because at some point Todd had to put Kempe back at center, which we know is not his preferable position. So it's affecting Mm -hmm. more than one, more than one position on this team. And a, a player who was productive in Kempe now really hasn't been productive lately. Are you going to accommodate that player? Do you want to break up the top line to accommodate Gabe? Maybe to get him going, and if you don't think you're going to make the postseason, if the move to Brown gets him going, then yeah, I advocate for it. If it doesn't, then clearly, I mean, you're running out of options for this player. So to me, that's the biggest concern. And then all of a sudden, are we going to have a conversation about who the two C of the future is, which would be which would be a tough conversation to have. So these are really important games, John. Not not just for making the postseason, but for for Gabe Vellardi, he's he's really got to respond here and answer the bell because he he's he has been questioned by this coach on more than one occasion, and now he's got the, mm-hmm. the two seed position back, and now it's time. And I get it; he's twenty one years old, and he's only played so many games. But at some point in time, when you drafted eleventh overall, you've got to show that quality.
1: Mm-hmm. He certainly is making it very easy for a guy like Quentin Byfield to walk in and take over that spot where you would think it would be the exact opposite. You would hear those footsteps coming up behind you and you would be like, hell no, I'm going to lock down the two C and I'm going to make him come in and make him be a winger or make him try to, you know, fight me for the job. And, uh, we're just not seeing that right now. And it is disappointing because there were flashes where Velarde for a good 10 day, two week stretch was arguably the best player on the team, even though he wasn't producing offense, And we made reference of it. I think you brought up the, uh, it was against St. Louis, I think as one of the examples where he was just, I mean, it was a highlight reel. He was, he was fantastic with the puck and away from the puck, but something, the body language, I just didn't like. I noted that the other day uh, on, on, on one of the zooms, it just, it's not the Gabe Velarde that I'm used to talking to. And I, I didn't like that. Um, So I, I I don't know, because here's the problem too. Carter is not a center anymore either DB. So you talk about, you know, agreed. Uh, Kempe, I mean, you have all these former centers who you really want to be playing wing, Kempe, Carter, maybe Velarde at this point. Uh, who wants that job? I mean, the idea of Blake Lazat moving back to the 2C is not very exciting no. to me. No. And Jared Anderson Dolan, as much as everybody likes him, you know, he's not uh, a typical 2C, but you might have to try him there just to get something going. But where I was going with that tweet today, though, Dennis, is there's just something about Carter and Velarde that's very sleepy that I don't like together as a pair
0: yeah it's not working I mean you, the optics don't work for you and the numbers don't work for you I get it yeah. see, here's, and I've made this parallel last night I just think that Gabe is is more talented foley than Jeff Carter in their primes obviously I just think he's that type of player it remains to be seen but I agree with you John it's just not working so like when you watch it on the ice you don't see it working and then when you look at the scoreboard it's not working either so you're it validates your thoughts about your optics
1: Yeah. And when you were saying uh, about, you know, putting Kempe there, really, it's not so much it's not that he hasn't earned to play alongside Eleven. But when you look at it, it's like I I just when I was penciling out the lineup, I couldn't put 77 up there. And I'm not sure that and, you know, maybe maybe if this is all about Gabe, which is what you said a moment ago, you know, and trying to get that player going, maybe putting 13 on the wing with with 11 is going to help. I don't know. I I would just be concerned. Todd talks so much about younger players and being the alpha and that sort of thing. And I know it was more specific to Kempe, but it would perhaps worry me that a player like Gabe might take a backseat uh, when he's playing with someone like 11 and, sure. and you don't want Gabe taking a back seat. He was an incredibly dynamic player in junior hockey. Right. And I know that it's different. But even when he was in the American League last year, he was a dynamic player. And you saw him when Martin Furk was available. The two of them, they created magic together. You know, it's like two guys going out there and just painting a portrait on the ice. And th- that's what I want to see right now. And I'm just not seeing it. Agreed. Uh, let's hit a couple of more of these from, from some of the fans, DB, uh, because we do appreciate our listeners and, and the fact that they take the time to do this. So some highs and some more lows here. Uh, high point has been the power play low point is the disregard for defense. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. Has there been a disregard for defense? No, I
0: don't think there's disregard for defense at all. I think there's defense look, there's special teams and goaltending winning games this season, but I don't think there's a, well, unless he's talking about Curtis McDermott, I don't think there's a disregard for defense. You have Mikey Anderson beyond foot, um, Matt Roy, our guest today. I think they're all solid defenders. And I think it, it's about that. Maybe a little gap control with respect to the forward wall, but I, I don't think that the defense on this team is problematic. It's the five-on-five five play and then lack of production.
1: Uh, next comment was, uh, High Point has been seeing the young guys get a chance, especially on the blue line. Uh, again, the guys you just mentioned there, DB, Mikey Anderson and Bjorn Foote, really no NHL experience to speak of coming into the season, and they're, they're helping carry the mail on the top two defensive pairings. On the negative side, uh, this particular reader said, our listener uh it's the same old guys producing the goals the kings have a hard time developing productive top six forwards well that's uh, uh partly partly true there i mean you just look at the production so far you'd like to believe that there's more coming in the pipeline though Dennis. Right.
0: yes yes i don't think i think in the moment at the nhl level that's a that's a fact but yeah. it's it's a it's It's not a close fact. It's it's not an assumption we can make 12 months from now. So let's see what happens next season. Who comes up, who develops it? They add from outside the organization. So yeah, in the moment, yeah, it's a fact, right? And Todd says it every day. Like, you know, I'm not getting enough from the bottom line. So that while it, it is a fact right now,
1: I think that could rapidly change next season all right so uh another another response from a listener positive sweeping the blues and regulation both games on the road and negative for this person was losing the first game to anaheim pathetic hockey that night so there's the the comment about the ducks game dennis there you go john uh the six win yeah everybody loves that win streak seen a lot of these on the win streak um and seeing and 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 conversely a lot of people hating on the uh the two games that they lost to san jose Uh, a lot in here about the kids um, the bad seeing our coach find line combinations that work, then change them and not seeing Luff uh, in there. Wagner is fast, but dot, dot, dot. You know, it's funny, DB. I mentioned this thing about Luff last night and there were a couple of negative people on Twitter responding to it. You know, Oh, Holven and his, you know, he, he used to like Brzezinski and you know, uh, all this stuff, you know, he has this weird obsession. So <laughs> somebody, somebody weird said obsession? Matt Luff might be my, uh, it's might be my cousin or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. I was like, It's just crazy. Here's the thing, people. Uh, Yes, I understand. Putting Matt Luff in the lineup is not going to solve all of the King's problems. I'm not suggesting that a move on the fourth or even the third line is going to be the answers to Todd McClellan's prayers. I get that. What I'm saying is it is weird to me that Austin Wagner, who doesn't produce, and I understand he creates chaos and he's fast, but, you know, so is double A, right? wagner doesn't produce and has the world's longest leash it is odd to me i find it interesting that matt Luff can't seem to get an extended sniff yeah i think that's the key like give him five games
0: mm-hmm. in favor in favor of austin wagner like where's the is there really a downside to that i don't think so i don't think so either <laughs> let's go to the tape no john there is no downside to it
1: <laughs> all right some people just they 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 get so uh they get so fired up about it, though. You know, uh, sometimes the things that, that you tweet out are the things that I tweet out. Uh, positive. The play of eight leaves it all on the ice, day in and day out. Yeah, it, look, he's been very impressive this year, Dennis. Oh, agreed, agreed.
0: A- and again, the maturity, the leadership, I-, I think to me, that's more important than, and especially now, John, because mm-hmm. you know, Drew said making a playoffs, not making a playoffs is getting old. But mm-hmm. through this run where they haven't gone well and their playoff chances reduced with every loss, he hasn't mouthed off about that. He hasn't said anything like that. He still is that leader. He, he's still not, he's still in control of his emotions on the ice. I, I think he's been an exemplary player for this, for this team. And certainly, look, you know what the motivation was, right? All the, I think the Olympic thing was a big motivation and just mm-hmm. all the naysayers. I think he was just tired of it and say, okay, guys, watch me. I'm not done yet.
1: Yes, for sure. Um, here's one. The points, this is a negative, I would imagine. The points left on the table has to be the most frustrating. Giving up late goals, losing in overtime uh, to Minnesota times two, San Jose, St. Louis. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point, Dennis. It does feel like there have been a lot of points left on the table this season.
0: Oh, without question, John. Like, you know, if you look at their, their what, they have six overtime or shootout losses? Yeah they have and they've lost they've blown leads late but it's again again teams that are developing that are young that can't play with leads right but especially early in the season the Minnesota like just destroyed them and the the, the the crazy thing John is they play really well against st. Louis like and that's a tough yeah. thing and I know they're banged up but that's a tough team but yeah they have left points on the table and that's that's mm-hmm. difficult to do but the one positive John is you know basically there's ten and two on the road which is an improvement, right? They really need to play better at home, right? They've only won six of 14 at home. So, so yeah, I get, I agree. There there have been points left on the table where, and John, not only that, if it was three more points, would the optics be different for this team? It would be. So if you mm-hmm. if you blew one game late and didn't get any points and you blew a game in overtime and you got one point, add those three points back to the standings right now, look where they are.
1: Uh, here's a high, Dennis. Watching Callieb score his first goal in his first game, and look, I don't want to argue with the listeners here, but that's a little bit troubling to me. I mean, it was a great moment, don't get me wrong, and it speaks to the future of the team. But thirty uh, something games into the into the season, if that's the high point, <laughs> whew, no. that's 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 rough. It's not. It's not the high point over
0: Coppa having thirty seven points in thirty two games, or or Drew Dowdy twenty seven and thirty two. No, that's not the high point.
1: You know something though, Dennis, I think that what you just said speaks to something that we talked about maybe about a year ago on this program. I think that for as great as Kopitar is and has been and Dowdy and Quick and the whole core five, right? Four guys, the number of, you know, the numbers are going to the rafters. A couple of them are going to the hall of fame for as fantastic as their careers have been. There is this weird sense within the Kings fandom of like, yeah, I I know they're good. They're great. You know, They've done a lot for the franchise, but it's like they need new blood. They just yeah need something new because they've been marketed for a decade. Look at the number of games that Kopitar and Brown have played together, like 1,100 games, right? They've Crazy. been marketed for a decade to the season ticket holders, to the Kings fans, the same names, Dowdy, Kopitar, Brown. Fans want something new to be excited about at this point. Uh, great point, John. I couldn't agree with you more. So one of these guys has to hit soon so that, so that I mean, look at all the people that ordered the Bifield reverse retro jersey, which didn't make any sense to me because he wasn't <laughs> likely to ever wear that jersey. Right. But people are ordering Velarde jerseys. They're ordering they're ordering Bifield jerseys because they just want something new. Yeah. Right. To yeah. add to their collection. How many how many different variations can they have of a number 11 jersey like they you probably know, already it, have
0: Jerseys 12 years old?
1: <laughs> i mean yeah people are buying stadium series jerseys just because they want something new at this point uh, uh one more here just to end things out uh, dennis and that is on the high point here it was to seeing jad succeed and contribute when finally being given an opportunity uh this is a very positive person as well this is puck rogue one who said on the downside for the negative comedy said honestly don't have one um the season is playing out very much the way that i suspected that it would uh tell b tell db Oh, well, hold on. What is this one? Tell DB that it will be if GM RB signs r and H. I don't know. Something about if Ryan Nugent Hopkins signs. Oh, that uh, guy
0: hates Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Oh, OK. <laughs> he hates him. <laughs> OK. He he's a below average player. And the only reason he has any points is that he plays with Connor McDavid. The guy absolutely okay. hates Con- uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. OK.
1: OK. So, so, <laughs> so you're telling me to bookmark that in case the Kings end up uh, oh, securing totally, his 100%. services.
0: I'm going to have a loss. <laughs> I'm gonna retweet that 25 times.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, Dennis, it's been fantastic. Uh, a great do, episode John. here with Matt Roy. <laughs> fun to. Uh, I'm sorry. What'd you say? The things we do, John. Yeah, well, you know, we try. We try to have fun. It hasn't been fun of late, like, Dennis. Some of these games have been tough to watch. But yeah. you know, it, the Kings were expected. They were expected to not win very many games against Vegas. They were yeah. expected to not win very many games against Colorado. So I guess the one thing that the fan base is asking them to do is please beat the San Jose sharks. Yeah. Uh, please beat the Anaheim ducks. What'd you say earlier, Dennis, that on paper, the fans are telling you those are winnable games. Oh right?
0: yeah. Oh, absolutely. They should win them all. I'm like, okay, they're one, one and one against Anaheim. So maybe not. So, um, yeah, Well, I think they're no weight are Oh yeah. Cause they lost in overtime. Um, yeah. The, the games you got to win are Anaheim, Arizona and San Jose. That, that's uh-huh. the level of team that you are right now. So I get it like, They could not win another game against Vegas and Colorado this season and it, to me it wouldn't matter John because you're not at that level yet. The, Anything you get there is a bonus, but it, it's the quote-unquote winnable or beatable teams Like those uh-huh. games are winnable like when you watch if you watch San Jose and other nights John They look atrocious, but for some reason they rise up against the Kings, and maybe there's a little bit more motivation there. I'm not sure. But those are those are the measuring – here's the thing, John. The measuring stick games are not Vegas and Colorado yet. They're the mm-hmm. other teams. That's the measuring mm-hmm. stick because if you win those games and you play the way you should, you should win those games, which is good opportunity to get you know, to the four. I don't think they get there because the math is not it's getting worse with every game. But to yeah. me, those are the measuring stick
1: games right now. And imagine how much more fun it'll be next year, Dennis, to talk not only about the young prospects uh, and and the reconfigured lineup, but also some new teams next year, Dennis, to talk about not only with the Seattle Kraken, but the division will be put back together. It's like Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. The division's going to be put back together. And once again, we can talk about the Kings playing their brothers to the north in the Calgary Flames. Daryl Sutter will be coming to town. We can talk about uh, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers coming to town. And Vancouver will be coming. Who knows who who will be part of that lineup? Perhaps Tanner Pierce will be there perhaps he won't it'll be a whole new year dennis so this uh this is just like a five-week roller coaster and, and then uh, we get to strap in and and do it all over again next season looking forward to it jay all right everybody have a great weekend enjoy happy easter if you celebrate that we look forward to being back actually dennis we're gonna be back before easter because we have another episode uh lined up later this week we do john okay well we won't uh well i think maybe some people might be clued into who that'll be but uh coming up later this week we'll uh touch base again make sure that everybody's doing okay we'll provide you with some la king's therapy we'll be back until then have a great day everybody